Um, if you have your Bibles, let's go to Matthew 6. Matthew 6, and uh, we've been in a series called the Prayer Series. I know it's really creative, and uh, you know, if you don't know what it's about, you could probably figure it out, right, just by reading the, the title. But the goal of this series is, is this, and it's pretty simple. Over the summer, I wanted to take a few weeks, and I wanted to make sure that we all, as a high school ministry, I want to make sure that we understand what prayer is. I want us to understand what prayer's purpose is. I want us to understand, as believers, how we should be praying. And I want us to understand what we should be praying for. And there's a couple of reasons why. Number one, because your relationship relationship with God depends on prayer. Okay. You cannot have a meaningful relationship with the God of this universe. If you never talk to him. All right. I've said this the past few weeks. Prayer is how we talk to God. This book, it's how God talks to us. And if you don't spend time in those things in your relationship with God, it's not really going to be much of a relationship. So we pray because our relationship with him depends on it. Secondly, it's this, and I've kept saying this, I'm going to keep saying it because we believe as a church and as a ministry that nothing of eternal importance will happen apart from prayer. So, so here's the deal. If we're going to go reach your schools, if you're going to go reach your families, if you're going to reach your groups of friends, if you're going to see God do something in your life that cannot be explained away, you have to pray. I mean, we can head out of this room with the greatest strategies, the greatest philosophies, the best ideas on how to go out of here and kill it for the kingdom of God. But if we don't pray, then none of it matters. We have to pray if we want to see God do something in and through us that only he can do. Now, what's more important than you just understanding this stuff about prayer is this. What's more important is that you actually pray, okay? You can know a lot about what we're teaching, and you can go home and take your notes and read them, and this is awesome, we're learning so much. But if you don't put these things into practice and actually spend time praying, none of it matters, okay? So here's my heart, here's my prayer, here's my hope. I pray that over these next several weeks, many of you in this room will become just insane prayer warriors and that you will fall in love with getting on your knees, getting on your face, and talking to your Father in heaven. That's my hope. That's my prayer. So that's the goal of the series. If you haven't been here, I just want to encourage you, keep coming back for the next few weeks, okay? We're going to cover some incredible stuff. If you've missed the first couple of weeks, go to westridge.com slash students, and you can listen to all the podcasts there for free and get caught up, all right? So um, tonight, here's what we're talking about. We're talking tonight about the commitment of prayer, the commitment of prayer. Um, when I was growing up, uh, and, and a lot of you guys know this about me, I was an athlete. I played sports. I was baseball, basketball, football guy. And um, I remember growing up a lot of times, and for some reason, I remember this, especially in my basketball teams, getting together with my team before the game, and we would pray together, okay? And you know the prayer that we would pray? we would pray the one that we're covering in this series. We pray the Lord's prayer. So before the game, all of my boys, we'd get together and, you know, we'd get on a knee and everybody's hands on shoulders and our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who've trespassed against us and deliver us from evil. Don't lead us into temptation. Yours is the kingdom, the power, the glory forever and ever. Amen. Right? Now, still to this day, I have no, reason, no idea why we prayed that before the game. Um, I don't know. I don't know if it, you know, we believe that it'd give us special powers or the ability to go out and kill people, but our basketball team wasn't very good, so it didn't work. Um, 
but we prayed it nonetheless. Now, here was kind of the interesting thing. I played sports, and a lot of times I was this guy I'm about to describe to you. I played with a lot of fantastic guys, great guys, um, but the ones who actually loved Jesus and were following him, they were the exception, not the rule. You know what I'm talking about? Like, even myself included, a lot of times we were just those dudes, prideful dudes, athletic guys that would go out and just live life how we wanted and not give God a second thought, but we prayed this prayer. Every time we played a game, as I was preparing this message and thinking back on that time in my life, here's what I was reminded of. There are so many of us who pray and maybe it's regular and maybe it's every now and again, it's once in a blue moon. Maybe you pray before your games like we did, but there are some of us in the room, maybe many of us in the room who spend time in prayer, but we never actually come to grips and understand that there are commitments behind the words that we speak to God. So in other words, we come to God in prayer a lot of times and we'll tell God what we want from him. We'll ask God to commit things to us But we fail to understand that when we pray, we're actually coming into the presence of God. And we're supposed to be committing some things to him as well. Now, I want to read this passage and I'll show you what I'm talking about. So Matthew chapter 6, let's look at verses 9 and 10 and uh, and we'll read this together. If you don't have a Bible, it's going to be on the screen. You can follow along up there. Here's what Jesus says. He says, our Father in heaven, which we covered last week, hallowed be Your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I need you to understand that when Jesus spoke these words, when he was teaching us how to pray as believers, he had something very specific in mind. And what Jesus had in mind went far beyond us. Again, just asking God to do stuff for us and then us sitting back and doing nothing. Right, that, That's not what Jesus had in mind. When Jesus told us to pray like this, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. He wasn't calling us to just speak empty phrases to God, but he was calling us to actually commit ourselves to seeing these phrases that he's, he's saying we should pray. He, he was calling us to commit ourselves to seeing those things become realities in the world that we live in. So it's not us praying to God going, um, God, it'd be great if, uh, if your name would be hallowed. I, I would like that. Like your name to be glorified, your name to be set apart. That'd be fantastic. Um, God, it'd be really cool if your kingdom came. That, that would be awesome. And God, I, I think I'm okay. I give you permission for your will to be done, right? Like that's how we pray a lot of times, but that ain't the way Jesus asked us to pray. The, the thing that Jesus was trying to get us to pray about was, was this. Here's how he wants us to pray. He wants us to pray, God, I commit myself to your name being hallowed. I commit myself to seeing your kingdom come. And God, I commit myself to your will being done right here on earth as it's being done in heaven. Jesus is saying, this is how we should pray. So for the rest of our time, we're just gonna walk through each of those phrases so that we can fully understand the commitment that you and I make to God every time we open our mouths to talk to him. All right, so if you're taking notes, write down that first phrase, hallowed be your name, hallowed be your name. Um, we don't talk like that. I, I don't think anybody walks around saying the word hallowed anymore, right? That's a weird word. So I'm going to tell you what it means so it makes more sense. It comes from a Greek word that literally means to make holy or to treat as holy. Or, or another way you could say it is this, to treat something with the highest honor. 
So when Jesus says we come into the presence of God, we pray, Jesus is saying that we should be committing to God that we are going to live lives to make his name holy, that his name would be set apart. We're going to live our lives in a way that treats the name of God with the highest honor. We treat his name as the name above all other names. Now, I want to make this really practical and easy for you to understand. So I I picked a few names that the Bible refers to God with, okay? So I want to give you a few of these so that you can understand how do I, as a teenager, walk out of here and make holy the name of God, glorify the name of God, treat God's name with the highest honor. Um, One of the names of God that Scripture uses is this. It calls God Elohim, okay? If you don't know how to spell that, E-L-O-H-I-M, all right? Elohim. And this word in the Hebrew, it simply means creator. It simply means creator. So here's the deal. You and I pray, God, I commit myself to treating your name with the highest honor. We are saying, God, I'm going to honor you as the creator of all things. I'm going to honor you as the one who spoke creation into being. I'm going to honor you as the one who hung the moon and the stars. I'm going to honor you as the one who created over 300 million galaxies in our universe. I'm going to honor you as the one who holds all things together and is the reason I live and I move and I have my being. God, when I pray, I'm honoring you, God. I'm committing myself to honor your name as creator God. So how do you do that? How do you do that? Well, here's the answer. You do that by first understanding that God created everything that we see with a specific purpose in mind. You understand that everything God created, he created for our good and our joy, and ultimately he created everything that we see for his Glory. Romans 1 says it like this. It says that God created everything. He put his divine nature, his, his godness on display through creation so that not a single person who's ever lived on the face of the planet could look around and go, nah, there's no God. There's no God. No, the Bible goes, no, no, no. He created all this to show himself to us, to to reflect how amazing and great and big he is so that not a single one of us would ever have an excuse to not believe that there's something bigger than us. That's what the Bible says. And so you got to understand everything God created, he created for himself and he created for our joy and for our good. And I'm going to give you an example so that we can understand this even better. All right, you ready? Here's the example. We're going to use sex as our example because you're high schoolers and you're mature and you need to hear this. All right. Sex. You know who created sex, right? It was God, wasn't it? In the beginning, when Adam and Eve were in the garden, you remember what God said to do? Adam and Eve, uh, go be fruitful and multiply, right? That, that, that's the first command to Adam and Eve in the whole Bible. Go have sex, right? Have fun, guys. Go, go do your thing. God created sex. It wasn't like God snuck up on Adam and Eve in the garden one day and they were doing their thing and God's like, what are you doing? Oh my gosh, like, I didn't know that that was going to happen. No, no, God is the one who created it. It was his idea. Now, here's the deal. When God created sex, he had something very specific in mind, didn't he? He had a design for it. 
He had boundaries for it. And here's what the Bible teaches. It says God created sex and he created it to be between a man and a woman. And, and that man and woman, they should be married. They should be in a marriage relationship. And the purpose of it is simple. It's so a man and a wife can enjoy each other. And the other purpose is to make babies, right? Make babies. That, that's the purpose of sex. We get pleasure and we make babies, right? That, that's sex. That's God's design. That was God's idea. Nobody else dreamt that up. That was all him. Now, here's kind of what's happened in our culture and in the place that, that we live in. Um, instead of sex being this created thing that drives people to remember how good God is, because again, all that's created is what? For our good, for his glory. So sex as a created thing should ultimately cause us to go, God, you are good. Man, you're good, right? That's what it should cause us to do. What's happened in our culture, because we use sex to sell things like toothpaste now, right? What's happened in our culture is that people, instead of approaching sex, seeing its design, seeing its purpose, and using it as something, a created something, to drive us to worship God, what we've started to do is we've started to make sex something in our lives that it was never intended to be. What? God. So instead of sex driving us to worship the Creator, right? Instead of the created thing reflecting the greatness of the Creator and us going, man, you're awesome, what's happened is that we have come before this created thing, sex, and we've gone, no, I'll worship that. I'll, I'll worship, that will be my God. And, and we take it out of its context, we pervert it, we use it incorrectly, not because I think we're trying to be terrible people, but we've gotten things backwards. Instead of going, God, you're so good, we go, sex, God, oh, God, this is good. And we worship it. It was never intended to be worshipped. It's a created thing. And so when you and I pray, when you and I pray, and it's this way not just with sex, with food, with alcohol, with whatever else you want to talk about, these created things should always cause us to go, God, you're so good. God, I will honor Man, creator, God, you are good. And what happens when we pray and we go, God, I'm going to hallow your name. God, I want to honor you as creator God. Here's simply what it means. God, I'm going to walk in what you created and I'm going to use what you created for the purpose you created it for because I believe that how you set that up, that's going to glorify you the most and it's going to be for my best interest. So God, absolutely, man, I'll wait till I'm married and, you know, enjoy my wife or my husband and we'll have kids and it's going to be awesome. And God, I'm going to do that, not to be some religious freak or some weirdo. God, I'm going to do that because you're creator God and you designed the universe to work in a certain way. And I believe that you're most glorified and it's in my best interest to walk in how you created the universe to work. So God, that's what I'm going to do. You're creator God, you know best. I'm honoring you, hallowed be your name, Elohim, creator. I want your name to be high above all other names. So that's my commitment. That's what Jesus is teaching us here. We hallow his name. We set it apart as creator. Um, another name. I, man, I love this one. I don't know if, you, if it's going to hit you guys like it's hit me, but all week, man, I've just been thinking on this and it's so good. Uh, another name that the Bible uses for God is this El Elyon. El Elyon. And here's what it means. It means possessor of heaven and earth possessor of heaven and earth. So our God, our God, the one that we came here to sing about, worship, talk about, the God who gave us this book, our God, everything we see is his. Like you get that, right? He owns it all. He is the possessor of heaven and earth. This means that you and I have absolutely no rights to anything. It's all his. 
It's all his. He not only created it, but he owns it. This means a few things for us. Um, First off, it means that you and I should never be so arrogant to think that we can live in this world without him in our lives. You know when you do that, right? When you approach God and you go, no, 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 God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do things my way because I think my way is better than your way. And God, you just need to stay out of the way. Do you know who owns all this? Do you know whose this is? Do you know who you belong to? You belong to El Elyon, the creator God, the possessor of heaven and of earth. Don't ever be so arrogant to think that this life is yours and you can do whatever you want with it. In reality, it's his. You belong to him. He created you. And I've said this before in here. Do you not think if God created you, he's got the right to kind of tell you what's going on and how to live life? That's his right. He owns everything. It's all his. He is the possessor of heaven and earth. It also means for those of us that know Jesus, we should have no excuse to not be the most bold and courageous people on the face of the planet. Listen, I told you last week, right? Our father in heaven, our dad is in heaven and he owns everything. It's all his. We as his kids. I mean, think about how courageous that should make us to go into the world and to share Jesus with people. Think about how courageous we should be to go out into the world and to put our faith on display, to love people like they need to be loved and to offer hope to people who desperately need hope. You see, we don't have any excuse. Our dad owns everything. He is the possessor of heaven and earth, and he's the possessor of every person on earth. And you and I should remember that every day and walk out of our front doors bold and courageous, ready to go kill it for the name of Jesus. I will treat your name as set apart, holy, glorious, high above every other name. It also means, man, that you every day should commit yourselves to honor God as the sovereign ruler of the universe. The one who creates and owns everything. When you pray, Jesus is saying, you should commit your life to honor God as possessor of heaven and earth. And I'll give you one more and then we'll move on. I could keep going. There's tons of names, um, but I'll give you one more. How about this one? How about the name Jesus? How about the name Jesus? When we pray, we are committing ourselves to honoring God as Yeshua, Jesus, our Savior, our Redeemer, our Rescuer, the one who gave his life to pay for our sins, the one who rose from the grave to bring us eternal life, the one who became our sin so that we could become his righteousness and be loved and accepted by God. When we pray, we are committing ourselves to making holy and to treating with the highest honor the name of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you how that plays out in your life as a high schooler. Girls, let me talk to you first. Girls, that means when you're on Facebook and you're tempted to put that stupid, dumb status, right, that just everybody looks at and they hate your guts because it's silly and it's childish and it's dumb and you need to erase your Facebook account because you're not mature enough to be on there yet kind of thing. You know what I'm talking about? Um, I love you all and I pray for you. But listen to me. When you're on there and you're tempted to put something on there that's just dumb and cutting and, you know, whatever it might be, cutting other people down. That's the point at which you need to start praying. And you need to say, God, I want your name to be hallowed. I want to treat your name with the highest honor. And right now in this moment, I don't want to do anything that would dishonor the name of Jesus. So I'm stepping away. I'm stepping back, right? I'm not going to be that chick. 
that crazy chick that posts all the crazy Facebook stuff. Not going to be that girl, right? Guys, don't do it. You don't, I mean, this is, this is it. Let's honor the name of Jesus. Girls, it means at school or wherever you are and that other girl treats you like garbage and she hates you and she talks down to you and whatever else. It means instead of retaliating or wanting to just kill her, you start praying. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. I want to treat your name high above every other name. I don't want to do anything that would dishonor the name of Jesus. And so I step back. I will love my enemy and I'll pray for her instead of cursing her or hitting her, right? Which is what I want to do. I'm going to pray for her. I'm going to love her because I don't want the name of Jesus to be dishonored. I don't want to do anything that would take away my chances of sharing Jesus with her. So I'll pray for her. I love her. Guys, Um, For those of you that were like me and you played sports, it means that when you step on the field and the ref makes a bad call, you shut your mouth and you pray. And you pray, hallowed be your name, hallowed be your name. I don't want to do anything that would dishonor the name of Jesus. I don't want to do anything that would prevent me from being a witness to my teammates or that other team. So God, hallowed be your name, hallowed be your name. I want to treat your name as holy. Um, Guys, let me take it a step further. It means that in your relationship with girls, you need to be a man. And you need to not be a boy. And instead of sitting around with your boys and talking about girls and treating girls like they're nothing but sex toys, you need to start praying. You need to keep your mouth shut. You need to pray, hallowed be your name. God, these are your daughters. Hallowed be your name. I do not want to do anything that would dishonor the name of Jesus. And so I don't, if I got to walk away, I'll walk away. I'm not going to talk to her like that. I see who she is and she's a daughter of God. Hallowed be your name. I want your name to be glorified and set apart above all other names. I want to reflect and represent Jesus well. I will not dishonor him by acting like a moron, right? That's what Jesus is teaching here. Hallowed be your name. I want your name to be glorified and made great. That's how Jesus says to pray. The second thing, the second thing Jesus says is this. He uses this phrase and he says, we should pray, God, your kingdom come. Not only do I want your name to be hallowed, but God, I want your kingdom to come. Here's simply what the kingdom of God means. It simply means God's rule and God's reign. And this, this passage and this phrase, this part of this prayer is about us longing for that future time when God's kingdom will be complete and perfect and he will rule over all of creation. I, I want to paint this picture because I don't know if we think about this a lot, but um, you, you guys do know we're all going to die one day, right? Um, unless Jesus comes back, we're dying, right? And we're dying every day. Like you and I are on our way to a hole in the ground. That's what's waiting for us. Well, what we can't forget that this book teaches is this, is that when Jesus does come back, for those of us that know him, we get new bodies and that there's gonna be a new heaven and a new earth created. And for those that know Jesus, they will live with him there for all of eternity. So picture this with me. Picture our world right now, okay? Picture yourself living in this world with no Satan, with no sin, with no consequences of sin, with with everybody in the whole world loving Jesus and following him and with Jesus himself being with us and ruling as king over everything. Picture that. Well, the Bible says for those of us that know him, that's what waits for us. That's what's coming. 
And Jesus is teaching us here in this prayer that when we pray, we should be getting on our face and just longing for that. God, I pray kingdom come, your kingdom come. Man, I'm ready for that. I'm ready for that. I'm ready for that. I want your kingdom to come. Now, here's what we do in the meantime. We commit our lives to live in such a way or commit to live our lives in in such a way that we show everybody else around us how desperate we truly are for that kingdom to hurry up and get here. Um, In the book of 2 Peter, this is a passage that I still don't fully understand, but I want to read it to you. Listen to what it says. Peter says, since all these things thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Let me make it easy for you. All this is going to be gone one day and something else is coming and what's coming is Jesus. So what sort of people ought we be, ought to be in, in, in living a godly life? And this is what I don't get. He says, waiting for and hastening or speeding up the coming of the day of God. So, I mean, Peter here is actually saying that what it sounds like he's saying is that you and I can speed up God's coming into this world. I don't get that. Like what I get is that God's sovereign and that God has a plan. And what I don't get is God sitting back and going, okay, I'm just going to watch them and see what they do. And if they live a certain way, I'll come back quicker. I I don't know if that's what the Bible's teaching. It's almost like what Peter makes it sound like. But he goes on and he says, man, we do that because the heavens will be set on fire, dissolved. The heavenly bodies will melt. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Here's what I do know that this passage teaches us. It teaches us that every single day you and I should live our lives in such a way like it seems we're trying to hurry up and get his kingdom here to this earth. That's how you and I should be living every moment of every day. And Jesus is saying that attitude should be reflected every time you pray. It's not, God, let your kingdom come. I want your kingdom to come. It's, God, I commit myself to live in such a way that I help out in getting your kingdom here more quickly. So for you as teenagers, this means quit worrying about your kingdoms. Quit worrying about your temporary life here on this earth so much. I'll make it even easier for you. Quit worrying about trying to be so cool, all right? Nobody, none of us are that cool, okay? Nobody cares how cool you are. Um, you're going to graduate from high school, and 10 years from now, you're not going to know anybody you went to high school with, so it doesn't really matter. Don't try to be so cool all the time. Um, slow down. Listen to me. Slow down. Quit being so busy all the time. Some of you guys are busy because you're busy trying to build your kingdoms. Even as a teenager, you're building your kingdom here on this earth and you've given little thought to the kingdom of God. Guys, pray about who you can share Jesus with. One of the purposes of our lives, if not the the purpose of our life is to play an active part in expanding God's rule and reign by sharing Jesus with people who need him and seeing God become king over the lives of people who didn't know him before. That's your job here on this earth. Wake up every day and remind yourself of who is king. You're not and I'm not. He is. And we need to live to get his kingdom here to this earth as quickly as we can. The last phrase, and then we're going to wrap up. Jesus says, not only should we pray, hallowed be your name and your kingdom come, we should pray, God, let your will be done. Let your will be done. I think this is one of the hardest parts of this prayer for many of us um, to actually pray and ask God for his will to be done. And here's why I think it's so tough for many of us um, because we're Americans, we're selfish, we're prideful, and uh, we think we know what's best for us all the time, don't we? 
That's why it's hard to pray. It's, it's hard for us to pray, God, you do what you want, isn't it? Because for many of us, we know what we want for ourselves. We know when we want it. We know how we want it. And most times, if we don't get it, we whine and complain and we pitch fits, don't we? So to pray, God, no, 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 no. I want what you want. God, I want your will to be done in my life and in the world around me. It's hard for us. Now, here's what I need you to understand. Even if you start praying this, God still isn't going to give you what you want all the time, right? He's not. I mean, you can pray for things, and you can pray, God, I want your will to be done in this situation. God isn't always going to give you what you want. Sometimes he's going to say yes. Sometimes he's going to say no. Sometimes he's going to say, I'll do it later, right? And why? Because God always knows what's best for you. Praying for the will of God in our lives, here's what it does. It forces us to push all of our emotions, all of our feelings, all of our selfish desires aside and to truly take on full force whatever God has for us. And again, it's not always going to be easy, but it is always going to be best. And the reason it's going to be best is because God's will playing out in our lives, it's always going to be for our good and it's always what's going to glorify him the most. So again, we pray that, God, I want your will to be done. In this situation, in this whatever, in my school, or why, whatever we pray, I want your will to be done. We're saying to him, God, I commit myself to you, believing that what you want, not what I want, is best for me and most honoring to you. It, it's also, and, and I think this will maybe speak to some of us. When we pray, God, I want your will to be done, it also means that we commit ourselves to living out the will of God that he's already told us is his will for us in this book. Okay, so what that means, God, let your will be done. That means you take an active part in going out and sharing Jesus. That means you take an active part and take care of the poor and the needy. It means you take an active part in reaching out to the hopeless, those people that nobody else take time for. It means you love them and you love them well. For some of us, it means that uh, we don't need to date certain people. For some of us, it means that um, there's some sin in our lives that we need to put to death, right? I mean, if you're truly going to pray, God, I want your will to be done, it starts here. Go ahead and live out what he's already told you to live out. This is his will for all of us, not to make us religious people, but so that we can be a clear example of Jesus to this world. This is what honors God and makes his name high above every other name. This is what it looks like to commit ourselves to the will of God. I I was thinking... um, about how in the world I could close this out. And I came up with a illustration that maybe will help. Uh, as a pastor, I get to do weddings from time to time. Not my favorite thing to do, but I do them, um, right? Weddings and funerals. It comes with the territory and whatever. I do them because I have to. Um, if I've done your wedding in here, I love you. And it was awesome. I'm just, I'm kidding. No, I love doing weddings for people I love. It's those people that I don't know that ask me. I'm like, ah, whatever, just pay me and I'll do it. Um, it's terrible, isn't it? Just being honest. Okay. But okay. So I get to do weddings and uh, you you guys know that there's a time when you come to the vows in a wedding and we've all been to weddings and we've heard this right where the pastor stands up and he reads this. um, Do you commit to blah, blah, blah. And do you commit to do this? And do you commit to do that and honor her and cherish and blah, blah, blah. Do you, do you, do you? And what is the person supposed to say at the end? I do. Right. Um, Well, I had a pastor um, at the very first church I served under, 
he, he gave me a marriage ceremony to use for one I was doing, and it said something different. It didn't say, do you, do you, do you? Here's what it said. It said, will you? Now, that's a, you know, just a simple difference in words, but I think it carries with it a huge implication, right? Because if I stand up there with a guy or a girl and I say, okay, will you commit to honest, honor and cherish and whatever else? Will you, will you, will you? And that person says, I will See, the difference between I will and I do is I do is I'm making commitment today. I do. I do right now commit to this. I will is different because I will is, no, I will. This is a continual thing. I will every day wake up. I will, I will, I will, and it keeps going, it keeps going, it keeps going. And when Jesus teaches this passage that we talked about tonight, that's what I picture. I picture Jesus calling us to not be I do people. Like people that are going to pray tonight and then leave like, God, I do. I commit to your will and commit to your kingdom and commit to your name. And then walk out and forget about it. You see, I think Jesus is teaching us we need to be I will people. People who wake up every single morning and we go, today, your name will be hallowed in my life. Today, I will live to see your kingdom come. And God, today, I will commit myself to whatever your will is in my life and in the world around me. God, I will. I will. So here's what I want us to do tonight. Um, These guys are going to come up, close this back out with a couple songs. I I don't care if you want to just sit in your seat. I don't care if you want to stand and sing or get on your face. I just want us to take some time and pray. And I want us to take some time and pray through what we've talked about tonight. And, and maybe for you, that's, uh, that means before you can ever pray this, um, some stuff has to happen in your life. Maybe for some of us in here, we don't even know Jesus. And maybe tonight, before you can even pray, God, I want to glorify your name. I want to live for your kingdom. I want to live to see your will be done. It means that you need to come to know Jesus as your Savior. We got awesome leaders all around the room who'd love to talk with you, pray with you about what a relationship with Jesus is all about. So let us know. We'd love to do that. For others of us, um, maybe it means that we've got to come clean with God on some stuff. And if we're really going to pray that prayer, mean it, be those I will people. For some of us, it means we just need to get on our face and get on our knees. And we need to get some things right tonight in this place before we go. Let's do this. Let's just bow our heads right now. And uh, I want to pray for us. God, I I just want to thank you for your word, God, and the truth that we find there. God, I, I thank you for this passage on prayer. God, I just pray that it would transform us. God, that it would change our minds about who you are. It would transform the way that we talk to you, God. God, tonight I pray that we would be those I will people. God, that we wouldn't be those people that come before you and just leave our commitments where we've made them. God, but we would carry them with us every moment of every day. God, help us to be a group of people who truly glorify and honor your name as creator God, possessor of heaven and earth, our God who is our savior and our redeemer, our our, our God who is our righteousness, our God who is the God who sanctifies, our God who is our provider, our God who is our shepherd and our healer. God, help us to live our lives to honor your name above all other names. God, and give us a passion God, to see your kingdom come. 
pray every day, God, we would be those people who wake up and we cannot wait for the kingdom of of your son, Jesus, to invade this world. God, help us to be people who hate sin and hate the enemy and hate the consequences of sin and put those things to death in our own lives, God, and live our lives to speed up your coming. God, help us to be those people. God, help us to be people committed to your will. Even when it's hard, even when it's uncomfortable, help us to be those people who believe that you are a God who loves us and you know what's best for us and you know what's going to glorify you the most. And God, help us to live our lives in light of that every single day. God, be in our midst now. God, I pray that you'd work in our lives, transform our hearts and our minds. God, we love you. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.